Welcome to another episode of the Manga Mavericks podcast on allcomic.com. This is episode 11, and we are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Sid. And uh, we, as always, we got a ton of news to talk about, and uh, we even have a, a slight, I, I mean, on my part... A discussion part, piece. A, a discussion, yes. I mean, I was going to say a mini discussion because I don't know if... I don't know if I have more than 20 minutes worth of thoughts on what we're talking about today. That's still but a long time for discussion. I guess. I mean, this is coming from a guy who produces like two to three hour podcasts. So 20 minutes is like a mini discussion for me. <laughs> um, but uh, I did say last episode that uh, I was going to finally read something. And that something was going to be Tokyo Ghoul. I, I read the first volume uh, at the very least. Just, just to kind of give it a taste because I... I, I I think I talked about it last episode. I wasn't really sure if I liked it enough to, like, you know, uh, read more than that. So I wanted to at least give some of my first impressions and what I think of the series and maybe where I think it'll head as as a person who hasn't read more than that since then. But, I mean, I think, Sid, you were telling me that uh, you were going to read more than that. How, how much of Tokyo Ghoul did you read? I managed to get through about half of it. All the volumes that Wiz has released so far. Okay, cool. Um, I was just asking out of curiosity, so I'm sure maybe you'll have more to say than me, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. So we're probably going to do that near the end of the show, because I think maybe the both of us kind of want to get through our news first. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of news this week. Yeah, we, we do. We always have so much news to talk about. Uh, well, we are a manga news podcast. That's true. That's true. But I guess just just real quick, Sid. How how are you doing today? Pretty good. I had a good week of work. Uh, planning to get back into my creative projects and thesis prep and all that. You know, things are pretty good. That's cool. Do you hate your job yet? No, it's a pretty fun job. Give it give it another year. Well, I'm only working. <laughs> I'm only working two months until I go back to college. So. Well, that's that's fair. You won't you won't have the time to hate your job. <laughs> um, I remember when I've got my first job at um, at a thrift store across from where I live, and uh, at first uh, at first I was like, "Hey, I, I have a job and I'm making money and I and I'm doing something productive finally instead of just lazing around the house being a homebody." And then uh, you know, about, about a about a couple of months in, I mean, like. To be fair, my first job was kind of a hassle because I got laid off, only to find out that everyone else who got laid off along with me got got to come back to their job, and I didn't get to come back to my job, which was a lot of, lot of, lot of shenanigans. I hated that. Did the manager have it out for you or something? No, there. It just I don't know. He didn't have it out for me. We got along pretty well, which is the weird thing. It was a lot of like, I don't honestly. I don't even remember what what all that was about. I don't even want to talk about it because I'm behind all that now. I have my I have my job at uh at Emo's Pizza, the pizza place I work uh at work here uh, locally, which um hasn't been hasn't it hasn't been a year. It's been a few months, and uh, I already hate that job. So, <laughs> I mean, I get free food, so you know that's that's a cool thing. Um, I get free pizza, but 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 all that all that pizza has just led to more weight gain and. I'm like, I mean, I don't, I don't mind admitting this. I'm like 270 at this point. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm a pretty tall guy. So, I mean, like that probably has something to do with it too. 
And uh, I certainly don't look my weight. I mean, I'm I'm kind of chubby, but like, I, I I like to think I I look pretty decent for my weight. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way, though. I've been like tr- exercising every day. I'm trying to lose weight by the end of the summer. See, I'm a, I'm a tool in that respect because uh, there, I remember there was this time. Uh, it was around the time I was reading through Slam Dunk for the first time. And uh, usually when I read sports manga, I always go through this thing where I'm like, you know what? I'm going to exercise. And that lasts for like a week. <laughs> but no, yeah, I've been doing okay aside from work and all the podcasts I have to edit that I that I have to get to. I have two episodes of Life Lessons I have to edit. That's going to be fun. Um, oh, yeah. Actually, by the time this comes out, I'll be 23. My birthday will have, will have passed. Ooh, happy birthday. Yay. Where's my present? Happy birthday to you. <laughs> happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Colton. Happy birthday to you. Thank you for making that quick. Um, but uh, but no, th- th- thank you, Sid. I I really do appreciate it. Um, I'm not 23 yet, but I'm going to assume it. Uh, it feels the same as if I were 22. Mm-hmm. Just just I I feel that I so far I feel the same. Uh, but yeah, no, that'll be a, that'll be a cool thing that'll have happened. I'm sure I, I'm sure I had a fun weekend doing whatever. Um, I'm going to go see Finding Dory this weekend, actually. I, I'm sure that'll be fun. Yeah, I saw it last week. It was pretty good. Yeah? Yeah, it was pretty good. Like, Dor- it's Dory's character journey is really satisfying and very heartbreaking at times. Like, any scene in the movie showing baby Dory, like, that's, it's always pretty heart-wrenching. Oh. Because, like, oh, she can't remember what she did. She can't remember her parents. Oh. Like, it's pretty sad. So what you're saying is I'm going to cry during the movie. Uh, Probably if you have, like, a weak heart. Uh, yeah, I cry at everything, so that's probably going to be the case. Yeah, because, yeah, there's a lot of tear-jerking moments. Oh boy, is there um is there a short before the movie? Because I think I heard that somewhere. There is. There's a very cute short about like this baby, like seagull, I think some some water feeding bird, and like it's a very cute story about this baby like bird learning to overcome its fear of like pe- uh, hunting for shells by the sea, and oh. uh, it's it's a very cute short like. Then the CGI is really, really cool. Like, it's rendered in a way that it almost looks, that it looks pretty photorealistic. Oh, okay. Interesting. The character designs, the animation. So, yeah, it's, it's a really good short. So, I really liked it a lot. So, is it, is it by Pixar or is it, or is it by Walt Disney Animation? I believe it's by Pixar. Okay, then that'll be interesting to see then. Okay. But yeah, I, I can't wait to see that. That's gonna be fun. Um, I'm still scarred from well, not scarred. I'm still trying to get over the um, the volcano short at the uh, at the beginning of Inside Out. That really took me on a trip. <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, did you like it? Or I, I I loved it. I thought it was cute and great, and I actually liked the song. Except I don't remember how it goes. I it's been a while since I've seen Inside Out. Um, did you not like it? <laughs> uh. It kind of went on a little long for me, it seemed, uh, and I kind of, I kind of grew tired of like the premise uh, after a while. But but it was 
there's a lot to like about it in terms of the effect of the effects of like the volcanoes like rising or submerging or whatever. So so what you're like, so so what you're telling me is you don't have a heart. Is that what you're trying to tell me, Sid? <laughs> no, I mean I appreciated it on a technical level. Uh, there you I go. wasn't into like the song that much, but like I, I like the concept was pretty no- was good. Maybe it could have been like shorter, but. That's about it. I mean, to be fair, you're not the first person I've heard say that the song kind of got on their nerves or whatnot, or you didn't really dig it. So that's that's fair. But n- none of that's about manga. We should stop talking about things that aren't manga because we're a manga podcast. Uh, so, Sid, uh, can you start us off with our first uh, first news story? I-, I hear there's another manga artist coming to the West. Right. Last week, we talked about Yuzei Matsui coming to New York Comic Con, and Colton had an amazing reaction to that. Yeah, I did. That was pretty funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now, uh, coming to a convention that's even closer in date, uh, Kazue Kaito, the mangaka of Blue Exorcist, is coming to Anime Expo, which will be next, which will be next weekend, uh, July 1st to July 4th. And this news also coincides with, like, a countdown on the Blue Exorcist website to an important announcement that's also going to happen on July 4th. So it's going to be very interesting to see what comes of that. But if you're a fan of Blue Exorcist, and if you're in the area and you love Blue Exorcist, I recommend you go and visit uh, Kazue Kaito, uh, attend a pan- whatever panel she'll be part of, and then uh, maybe get some things signed and just meet her. It's pretty not- It's pretty cool to meet a mangaka whenever they come over to the U.S., so it's an opportunity not to be missed if you're able to go. Yeah, it- it's very rare that um, most manga authors put themselves out there publicly, so... It's 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 a pretty rare chance to get to see them in person, let alone any like photos or like maybe on a, like a talk show or something or whatnot. Yeah, I still kick myself for not like being able to go see Masashi Kishimoto at last year's New York Comic Con. Like I went to, I was at Comic Con the day he was there, but there's like this whole thing where you have to like pre-register to see uh the panel or whatever when it's a big panel so i didn't know about i didn't know about that so i just showed up at like the line around the time the panel was supposed to start but i was like turned away because i didn't follow the proper procedures and whatever so i'm gonna make sure to you know be more careful about that when using matsui comes over this year but yeah, so I missed that opportunity. But I have a second chance with Yusei Matsui this year. And and I, and and when you do meet Yusei Matsui, I can live vicariously through you. Yes, because I remember I'm still getting that New Year one for him to sign and for me to send to you as a late birthday gift. I I will I will remind you of that. Ex- except I I won't be I won't be too bad about it. I won't be like, hey, you owe me this thing, even though it's a, it's a nice thing that you offer. Because I, <laughs> I, 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 I can't stand people like that. Um, but anyway, so that's cool. I mean, uh, I, what was I going to say? I, I need to, I need to get back on Blue Exorcist at some point. I think I, I think I might have stopped because at the time I was reading through scans, and um, I, I decided I wanted to actually buy it. So it's it's one of those things where it's like, I really want to buy this thing, but also it's monthly and I don't want to catch up to a monthly series because I've, I have this thing with monthly series where it's like, I'm always afraid if I read something monthly, I'm going to constantly forget about what's going on and I'm going to lose that like, 
I'm gonna. I I feel like there's always the risk of me losing inv- any kind of investment I have reading a, a, a series like that. I don't know. Do you do you have any problems like that, Sid? Can you relate at all, or am I just crazy? There's some series that I can keep up on a monthly or intermittent basis just fine. Blue Exorcist is one of those series. Is one of those series. I don't have problems reading it month to month. Uh, but there are monthly series that I have had trouble like keeping engaged with in the past. Like, I remember when I was keeping up with Soul Eater way back in the day, during the final arc, I found myself falling out of it, and I didn't enjoy it quite as much. But when I went back and reread the arc all the way through just in one go, I enjoyed it a lot. So, yeah, there's some manga that are better enjoyed reading it just continuously, and then there are other manga that can be read fine on a week to week or monthly or intermittent basis. Yes, okay, good. I'm not I'm not a crazy person then. Um but anyway, so uh we're going to go on with the rest of our usual news uh, which would be the uh the New York Times bestselling manga list for the week of June 5th through the 11th. Um mm-hmm. at number 1, um unsurprisingly is uh, Tokyo Ghoul Volume 1. Uh, previously ranked number six on the list and is now on its 49th week on the list. Well, you know, it's very appropriate that the episode we're talking about Tokyo Ghoul Volume 1, it ranks number one on the New York Times list. Yeah, that's it's funny how things work out. Um, and then uh, at number two, we have Orange the Complete Collection Volume 2, uh, previously ranked number one on the list and is its second week on the list. Yeah, Orange seems to have sold very well over here, and there's a lot of hype for the anime. I expect it'll be one of the more successful anime to come out of this summer season, which is very well-deserving. I've read Orange, and uh, though I had some problems with some of the beginning chapters, it is ultimately a very compelling and uh, emotionally engaging shoujo series. I, I think I might actually watch the anime for that one. Mm-hmm. I mean, the anime looks really good from the uh, uh, promo visuals, like the animation and the art, like, very good. So I think it'll be one of the most successful anime to come out of the summer season. Un- un- unless Mob Cycle 100 just, like, completely obliterates everything because it's by the guy who did One Punch Man. Well, I still expect that to be at least my personal favorite uh, to come out of the season. But, yeah, I mean, Orange will be up there as one of the... It's one of the top ones out of that season. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, and then at number three, we have Black Butler Volume 22, uh, previously ranked number eight on the list, and is its third week on the list. So that that's a thing. And then we have uh, Food Wars Volume 12 at number four. It's its first time on the list. So mm-hmm. there you go. And this volume should have, like, the showdown between Soma, Hayama, and Kurikiba in the finals of the autumn election, which was a really good match. So, the end of the fall classic arc uh, in this volume. Some really good chapters. I think this is where the second season of the anime is going to start, isn't it? No, it'll start a little while before that, a couple volumes before that. Because where they left off in the anime was the first round of the Fall Classic. But ah, they ha- okay. they didn't go on to the second round. They ended at the first round. With Soma, with Soma barely losing to Ayama in like the preliminary matches. So, in the second round, uh, the, f- the second round stuff is gonna be what starts off the anime. And I expect that the second season will cover the rest of the Fall Classic and maybe the Stadria Week arc, and maybe a little beyond that, who knows. 
Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to season two of Food Wars because I I haven't read any of the manga since then. Because again, it's it's another one of those things that I want to buy, but I just don't have the money enough money to buy all that right now, unfortunately. I'm really looking forward to the second season because some of my favorite matches in Food Wars uh, will come out of there, like uh, Arato versus Hayama. Uh, Soma versus Mimasaki Bara, like all the stuff in the second and final rounds of the Fall Classic are great. And of course, if they get the Stagiaire Week, which is probably my favorite arc in the series so far, that's going to be also really awesome. Because Stagiaire Week, when I was reading that weekly, that every chapter of that ranked number one on my on on the Shonen Jump surveys for me. Mm. So yeah. That was a really, that was, that's a really great arc. And then, you know, Shokugeki no Sanwa Food Wars has just been excellent since then. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to the second season. It just keeps getting better from here. I, that, that, that's, that's something I really want to start reading at some point again. Um, but anyway, at uh, number five, we have One Punch Man Volume One, previously ranked number four on the list, and it is its, uh, 41st week on the list. So there you go. Uh, at number six, we have Assassination Classroom Volume 10, and it's its first week on the list, so it's nice to see Assassination Classroom get on the list there. I love this rainbow cover, too, for the volume. Yeah, it's, it's not a bad one. Yeah. I don't remember what chapters would be in this volume. I yeah, would assume, me neither. I would assume it would be the God of Death stuff would be in this volume, which is really great stuff, so. I yeah. think so, yeah. Um. And then we have uh, Tokyo Ghoul Volume 2 on the list at number 7, previously ranked number 10, as and is its uh, 28th week on the list. Uh, and then we have, at number 8, A Silent Voice Volume 7, the final volume of A Silent Voice, uh, again, ranked at number 8, with its uh, last rank being number 2, and is its second week on the list. Glad to see A Silent Voice is selling strong. Uh, especially with its final volume. Uh, we've talked a lot about it before, but it's a phenomenal series. And I'm glad to see it's found an audience over here. I, I still say it's required reading for all manga fans and everybody should read it. Totally. That, that's how much I love it. And at number nine, we have Seraph of the End, volume nine. Uh, this being its first week on the list. Um, this, this one I've been thinking about reading too, actually, now that I think enough of it has, uh, been published in English. Not a fan of Seraph of the End myself, but hey, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty nice, I guess, for its fans that it's selling well. Well, there you go. And then finally, we have Tokyo Ghoul number six at uh, number 10 on the list, uh, previously ranking number five, and is its eighth week on the list. Mm-hmm. So Tokyo Ghoul, as usual, has uh, three volumes on the list. Yeah, I've dominated this list. Again, appropriate, considering that we're going to have that Tokyo Ghoul discussion in this episode. Yes. Um, pretty good list, I'd say. Yeah, we're a diverse range of series and some very good series on here. So, uh, yeah, very nice list this week. Lot of, lot of Viz Media stuff. I mean, of course. I mean, Viz has the majority of the big titles, but, you know, there's a rep from Kadansha in here, there's a rep from Seven Seas. Like, it's not as good, it's not as diverse, maybe, as the list we had, uh, the last time, in the last episode, but it's still a pretty good list. It isn't completely dominated by Tokyo Ghoul or One Lunch Man like we've covered in the past. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so, Sid, um, there's a new manga on Crunchyroll. Could you tell me about it, please? Yes, Crunchyroll has added a new manga series, Katkeru Utsugi's How to Keep a Mummy. 
And from the promo art, it looks like a very cutesy kind of series, very cutesy comedy. The mummy is like a very chibi, small kind of creature that's sitting on the main character's shoulder with nice round beady eyes. It's very chibi, very cute. Yeah, it, it literally doesn't look like a mummy at all. I feel very cheated. <laughs> if you look closely, you can see the bandages. I guess, but it, it, I, I think it would have been a lot funnier if maybe, like, he just had a full mummy sitting on his shoulder and he just didn't pay attention to it at all. Yes, that would, yeah, that would have been a lot funnier. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the disconnect between you're having this rot, giant rotting mummy corpse doing cutesy things, that would have been way more funnier than, like, this chibi thing. But, yeah, the story about this series is when a high school student, Sora Kashiwagi, finds himself staring down a mysterious oversized packet sent to him by his self-proclaimed adventurer fodder, the last thing he expects is for it to be opened from the inside by a little money so small it can fit in the palm of his hand. Woo. Yeah. I mean, this seems like a cute little series. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not, like, necessarily, like, laugh out loud hilarious, but, like, you know, enjoyably charming. It it looks like fluff, but, yeah. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with that. But it's, I think the, the, the Crunchyroll Madinga audience likes... Um, series like this. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of series that are very similar to this on Crunchyroll's manga site, so I think that there is an audience for it, and yeah. I think that's good. I think, in general, I'm glad that there's a more diverse selection coming to Crunchyroll anyway. Like, if you look at the Crunchyroll manga catalog, like, there's a whole bunch of series of all sorts of, like, ranges in tone and style and, like, demographic. So, there's a lot to like there, and this is another, uh, valuable addition to their catalog, I'd say. Hmm. Maybe, maybe I can read this and maybe we can talk about it on the next episode. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I'm, I'm at least willing to maybe like try this out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's so much I have to read, but it's definitely on my backlog. Sure. Certainly. Most things are. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> so anyway, I don't have a transition for this other than, uh, well, I mean, I guess the, the day we're recording this, not, not that it'll matter because we usually release this stuff on Wednesday, but, uh, the day we're recording this is Friday. It's JoJo's Friday. Probably my favorite day of the week as long as JoJo's is airing. Yeah, JoJo's Ushio and Tora Power Hour. That, that's been awesome these last three months. And, and soon I think Berserk, cause I hear Berserk, I think at least in Japan's gonna be airing on Friday, so. Yeah, I mean, that will be. Nice if the Berserk anime is good, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll see. But yeah, for now it's it's JoJo's Friday, and I couldn't be happier. I'm gonna I'm gonna be watching JoJo as soon as we're done here. Um, but uh, you said you you saw episode ten, right? I'm assuming. Of course, I did. With uh, Tonio. Yeah, Tonio, the 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 Italian chef. I think I think that was probably. Like one of one of the episodes that like everybody was looking forward to. Yeah, it's the most superfluous part of part four, but it's also probably the best. Like that episode is great, and the manga is great too. Like, I, I I think what makes it great is like just just the punchline, which I won't I won't give it away, but it's it's pretty great if you. It's been four it chapters of Okiyasu eating really good food. Something incredibly wild and disgusting happens to him, but then he gets fine, and then he keeps eating more food, and that just continues on for four chapters, and it's awesome. 
yeah, it's pretty good. And uh, th- like the punchline at the very end is especially funny if you've if you've been like watching or reading part three. But uh, but yeah, so essentially, there's there's this restaurant in uh, in Tokyo, I believe, a a French restaurant called uh, called uh, Saint Falcon. I don't know. I probably uh, mispronounced that, but whatever. Um, and apparently, they're they're offering a meal based on uh, based on the food, the the, the course that uh, Okiasu eats in that particular episode of JoJo. So you can go there and uh, and eat the uh, tomato and mozzarella cheese uh, salad, uh, the uh, the spaghetti he eats, the uh, the the lamb chops, and even the uh, the pudding or the flan and all that good stuff. And it all looks really good. Yeah, it really does. I I think out of all these, I I would like to try the uh, as much as I as much as I hate tomatoes. I I would love to try the tomato and mozzarella. Oh yeah, the antipasto looks great. I love tomato and mozzarella together; just a great combination. And spaghetti, I really I want to try all of this stuff. I wish I lived in Tokyo. I wish I was <laughs> next door to this restaurant and I could go every week and eat this meal. Because oh, it man. looks awesome. And I'm also a huge hardcore JoJo's fan. So this is like amazing to me. And I wish there was like somewhere, some place in America that would do this too. But that's probably not because, you know. Well, well, here's the thing, Sig. You might, you might not want to eat this uh, too often because apparently this particular course is going to cost 5,555 yen or roughly around $52 in American money. Um, so, uh, you, you might, you might want to budget yourself a little better if you're spending $52 on a particular meal every day or every week. Um, well, not every day. I'm not going to eat the same thing every day, but every (laughs) month, maybe every month, you know, I would be willing to do that. Yeah. Okay. That, that's it. That sounds, that sounds reasonable. Um, you know, this is coming from a guy who eats weight, eats too much fat, more fast food than he'd like to admit. Uh, (laughs) But hey, this isn't fast food. This is healthier food. Well, yeah, but you know what I mean, budgeting yeah. and all that. But but um the uh the price in particular is a uh, is kind of a kind of a funny little reference um because uh 5 in Japanese is go and uh if you pretty much uh the the price of the course is a reference to a very particular sound effect used in JoJo quite a lot. Uh, among the many sound effects used in JoJo, the uh, the go 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 sound effect, the kind of, I think I think it'd be like the equivalent of like a rumble. Mm-hmm. It's it's the sound effect used for like very tense moments or whatnot. Um, I can't, like it's it's used a lot in JoJo. Like I can't really think of any like particular moments, but it is a, it is a sound effect used in JoJo and really in a lot of other manga in general too. Um, so, so that, that's a, that's a funny little thing. And yes, yeah, so essentially, like, th- there's no, um, uh, I don't think there's any particular, like, date as to when this particular restaurant will stop serving this course. So, uh, if you're, if you're in Tokyo, uh, actually here, if you, if you happen to be in, uh, Hatagaya in the Shubia Ward, you, you want, you want to go eat this food. You want to go try it. Yeah, definitely. Don't miss this opportunity while it's the last. Yeah, so go go look for this restaurant and go eat this food. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity of a lifetime. It really is. I, except except unlike in the show, it won't cure anything. It'll just be really good food. Yeah, unfortunately, but really good food is still really good food. 
still really good. You know, uh, they should open like a food wars restaurant in Japan. Oh, that would that would be uh, that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sure it wouldn't make people's clothes fly off, but. Or orgasm, but you know, if, if, if I mean, uh, if if only, right, Sid? Oh, if only food had the power to magically rip apart your clothes and like bring you to a climax. But yeah, I no. mean, I, I I feel like the latter of those is probably possible if you're a good enough chef. But I don't I don't think there's any kind of food that'll make your clothes rip off. Yeah, well, that'd be funny, but you know, it would be funny. But uh, that's manga. So, sorry, I, now I'm just now I'm just a. Sorry, now I'm just imagining <laughs> I'm just imagining a person coming to a restaurant and he just starts eating his food and after he takes his first bite he like he has like rip off clothes, <laughs> tear off clothes <laughs> worn ahead of time so he just like tears off his clothes. That'd be pretty the funny. The food is so good that people rip their cl- their clothes off themselves. They just tear them apart with their bare hands. Except except don't do that because you will go to jail if you do that. That's a uh, it's public indecency. Unless it's a not safe for work restaurant or whatever. I think there are like adult restaurants. I remember reading something about that. That sounds like something that would exist, actually. Yeah. I, I wouldn't put that past anyone. Um, but, uh, Sid, could you lead us into our next, uh, next news piece? Right. Now, this is only kind of, I mean, it's tangentially related to manga, even though it's not a manga itself. Like, it's a, uh, Titan Comics has announced that they are making a new Robotech comic series slated to come out uh, early 2017, Robotech being, of course, that amalgamation of a bunch of famous Japanese uh, robot shows, most notably Macross, and Robotech has a very, you know, popular fan base. It's uh, we're still remember fondly by people who grew up watching it in the 80s and 90s. I've watched a little bit of it myself, and I prefer... I mean, obviously, I prefer, like, Macross from what I've seen of that. I haven't seen too much of either Robotech or Macross, but between the two, I prefer Macross. But Robotech is still has a charm to it that I still enjoy. And I think that it's pretty neat. I mean, we're, of course, seeing a bunch of 80s revival stuff uh, nowadays. So it was only a matter of time that someone jumped on the chance to make a new Robotech series. So, you know, this is pretty interesting. I think that it has the potential to be very good, just like the modern day Transformers and Power Rangers comics are. And I think fans should look forward to it. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe Titan Comics is also putting out that, um, that, uh, adaptation, the manga adaptation of BBC Sherlock, I believe, right? Yes, I believe so, yeah. It, so, someone can correct us if we're wrong about that, but, um, that's, I believe so. Cause mm-hmm. I, cause, cause Titan comic sounds really familiar. I have such a bad memory, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, I think that's about it for that. Um, so, uh, let's get into some more live action movie stuff or supposedly live action movie stuff. So, uh, I, I, I haven't released the episode for this yet, but I, I did talk about this on one of my recently recorded episodes of life lessons, the Gintama manga cast. Um, so, there's been a lot of rumors going around that uh, that uh, there might be a Gintama live action movie coming out, but like there hasn't been any real confirmation on that yet. Like th- there have been details such as like, oh, Gin's going to be portrayed by um, Oguri Shun, who he, which is funny because that particular actor has been parodied in the show before, um, and he's also, from what I hear, a pretty 
pretty famous actor over in Japan. I know he's done a lot of dramas. I think he's I think he's done a few movies. I I'm not really the person to ask about Ogre Shun. I I, I I could direct you to people to talk about Ogre Shun if you if you want to find out more about him. Trust me, but um, but essentially it's like basically these have all just been rumors. Like I think Shueisha even denied the the existence of this, but like essentially um, uh, Jump this week pretty much is teasing a uh, an announcement for both Gintama and Assassination Classroom. I, I think Gintama's announcement is going to be uh, going to be in the July 4th um, issue of Shonen Jump, whatever issue that may be. I think issue 31. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know something's coming for Gintama, whether that's a live action movie or not remain to be seen. But um, uh, we we had found out, I think, shortly after that, that uh, Warner Brothers Entertainment uh, registered the domain of Gintama-film.com. So mm-hmm. it looks like there's a Gintama movie coming, I think, because I don't think Warner Brothers would uh would uh you know register a domain like that if it weren't a Gintama movie at least. Um yeah. that'd be kind of a waste. Now whether it's a live action movie or not, still it remains to be seen, but I mean, I don't know. I I don't I don't I think I don't know if we've talked about this on the show yet, but I think I think I like as much as I don't like live action adaptations of manga and anime, I think in the case of Gintama, I think I think if the producers or the crew behind it are allowed to have fun with it and and they break the fourth wall just right, maybe have an animated Gintoki Kara and Shinpachi come out of nowhere and be like, Well that movie sucked. <laughs> I th- I think yeah. that if they don't do that, this film will be a failure in my yeah, eyes. They need to have a scene. They need to have a scene of them sitting in the theater watching the movie and commenting on how on how bad it is. <laughs> Unlike maybe not how bad it is, but how like they're being misrepresented or something, or like just some weird skits. Like uh, in Lion King, one of the half, you would have these like scenes of Timon and Pumbaa like watching their own story unfold in a theater, which was weird. And pose a lot of questions towards like the continuity and like how the world of Lion King works, but uh, you know something like that wouldn't be out of place in Gintama. I think. Um, I feel that I don't know Gintama to me is such a cartoon that it's hard for me to imagine it working in live action, but I probably could be done uh, if it's you know. Especially since it's, especially if it remains, uh, as humor focused as the series normally is, and like, it breaks the fourth wall and is very tongue in cheek in parts and all that stuff, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it still has to be confirmed whether we're, it's actually gonna be a live action movie or not. Though, it'd be funny if they make another animated movie, considering the last one was called Gintama The Final Chapter. <laughs> Yeah, that was a thing that they had to address at the beginning of the 2015 season, which led to a lot of funny results. Um, yeah, that's a great scene. I mean, if if this turns out to be a live action movie, uh, I'll keep an open mind because I I think I I'm very cautiously optimistic about this as much as I am for uh, the Full Metal Alchemist live action movie. Like, I'm actually looking forward to both of those. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I also wouldn't mind another animated movie, though I have no idea what they could do. I mean, I don't know if it could be, like, another original or, like, what I hope they don't do is, like, try to animate the rest of the manga via movie. 
I, I would I would prefer there to be one final season of the anime on television, but I'm at this point I'm kind of happy with whatever I get, honestly, because yeah, because I mean we I think we've talked about it before. The manga is going to be coming to an end very soon. Definitely, I think within the year, I think is up uh, is safe to assume. But uh, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see whatever comes out of that. I'll I'll keep uh, personally I I will be keeping up with this, <laughs> but. Uh, Speaking of, speaking of live action movies, there there is a certain property that we're going to be talking about uh, near the end of the episode that is getting a live action movie. And what is it, Sid? I'll give you one guess. It's Tokyo Gold. I mean, that's not even a guess. Like everyone, everyone listening to this podcast is going to guess that just by the way you phrased like that prompt. Like no series we're talking no! about at the end of this podcast. Oh gee, what are we going to no! talk about at no. the end of this podcast? Hmm. No, 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 no. How did you guess? I I really felt like I covered my tracks. Like you must be some kind of wizard or something. But yeah, Sid, there's a Tokyo Ghoul live action movie. Yeah. There isn't a whole lot of information about that yet, about this yet, I think. Tokyo Ghoul is a series from what I've read that's pretty easy to do in live action. There isn't a whole lot of crazy things that they need to use an abundant amount of CGI for. I mean, you're gonna, they're gonna need CGI to do for like the Kagunes and whatever, but, um, that, that should be fine. That's like standard amount of CGI. It can still work. It's mostly still just human characters talking in a pretty realistic, Tokyo, realistic setting. So yeah, I mean, this, this can work better than like most fantasy, a, a live action adaptions of fantasy, uh, anime or manga series would, I think. You think this would work better than say, uh, the rumored live action Stardust Crusaders? Oh yeah. Definitely. I think that this would work better. But, um, I never watched the Parasite movies, and I would think, I would think it would be similar to, Tokyo Ghoul live action movie would be similar to the Parasite movies and how effective they'd be. But I haven't watched those. Uh, I think I heard mixed opinions, even though Parasite is also a property that I would have thought would have worked, like, pretty easily well in live action, too. So, yeah, who knows? It's all going to depend on the director and the studio. So, you know, there's potential with this, but uh, I wouldn't, like, get too excited yet. Just from my experience watching, like, live action adaptions and manga stuff, like the Attack on Titan movies last year. So, you know, but I keep in your out for more news about this. Yeah, like like Sid said, there's like literally no other information on this yet other than, hey, there there was an advertisement on Volume 7 of Tokyo Ghoul Re saying, hey, this got a live action movie. And that was about it. Yeah. So we'll, we'll obviously follow up on this as more news for this comes out. But uh, let's uh, let's 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 get to uh, some of the manga that's ending, unfortunately. Yes, the, mo- the bittersweet part of this podcast. We talked about before how it was teased in um, in uh, Bisatsu Margaret that uh, that uh, my love story or uh, Ore Monogatari uh, was going to be ending sometime soon, and uh, it looks like my love story is going to be officially ending on July thirteenth with a one hundred page final chapter. That's a that's about like four to five chapters worth of manga. Well, my love story chapters are fairly long. I think they're about thirty to forty pages. Last time I remember, so 
I mean, oh, this really? is about okay. double length for a normal chapter of my love story, but it's not a gigantic, like, leap from, like, it's, uh, page count in pe- with previous chapters. It's, it's still a pretty decent page length. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's as long as I think the final chapter of Full Metal Alchemist. So it's going to be plenty of time to wrap up the story. And about it, as far as it ending goes, my love story is an incredibly enjoy- enjoyable series, but it's not a series that was is really designed to last for a long period of time. Yeah. It's a series that would wear out its welcome if it just continued to run indefinitely. So I'm glad that it's going to get a satisfying ending, and it's going to get it at a time where it's still at its creative peak. So I think that uh, this is may, might be bittersweet news for fans of the series, but it should also be um, where something to really look forward to. And I also hope that to coincide with the ending of this manga, that a second anime season might get produced, which would be very nice. I I hope so. That would be nice. Though, in fairness, I, I still have to finish the first series. <laughs> well, you should at some point. Just think about that. Like, I actually, I actually tried watching that week to week when that premiered last year, and I'm only like halfway through at this point. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. that's that's something I pl- that's something I plan on finishing soon, and then I would like to start on the manga at some point because I own the first volume and I just I haven't gotten the chance to read it. Yeah, the manga, the volumes that Wizard put out, they're not too far past where the anime was so you wouldn't have too much like catching up to do in terms of like official releases but yeah uh this seems this is bittersweet news but i think i think the ending of the series will be very satisfying and i'm looking forward to it okay can i just say also on another tangential note that i i enjoy a lot of the uh I enjoy a lot of the uh, covers of the volumes of my love story as they go along. <laughs> yeah, my love story has great covers, like some pretty ridiculous ones. I love the this image that we're looking at now of Takio in a cowboy outfit. It's just awesome. And then I think uh, Shonen Jump, the Shonen Jump Twitter, uh, tweeted about um, they tweeted. I think they tweeted about the newest uh, English volume of my love story. And I think it's just uh, it's just Takeo as Ryu from Street Fighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great too. Or at the or at the very least, he looks very similar. Uh, so that that's pretty good. But yeah, no, I'm I'm kind of sad to see it go. But uh, but then again, I, I wasn't really keeping up with the manga in the first place. Though now that it's ending, I I'm definitely going to have to start reading this at some point. Because mm-hmm. I mean, uh, from what I've seen in the anime, I really enjoy it. It's really cute and funny and charming, and I love it. So, definitely going to read this uh, more at some point. But Sid, speaking of manga ending, um, your favorite manga in the entire world's ending. I'm sure you must be very sad. What? Your Sayatsura is ending again? How? <laughs> no, no, Sid, not that one. Your other favorite. <laughs> what? Ashida no Joe is ending again? How? No, no, Sid, like your, um, your 53rd favorite. What? You mean Animal Land is ending again? How? <laughs> That's your 53rd favorite? I just chose a random series that I liked, but... Oh, uh, okay, okay. I was gonna say, I would hope Animal Land is a little higher than that. Yeah. It's pretty good. My, my real 53rd favorite, uh, let's see. Okay, well, here, uh, no, I'm, no, wait, I'm, I'm sorry, you're... 
333rd favorite. Have I read that many completed manga? <laughs> at, at that point, at that point, we wouldn't even get into stuff that I'd call my favorites. Co- there'd just be stuff I read that I might have opinion one way or another. But well, one thing's for sure: I still ha- I haven't read that many. That's for sure. <laughs> well, regardless, I mean, this isn't. This, let's just say the series is not actually anywhere close to being something I consider one of my favorites. Uh, I don't hate it either. It's a thing that exists. It's a nice way to describe it. We talked about this before. I'm not a huge fan of, like, shaping spinoffs of anime manga series, unless, except for a couple of exceptions, which know how to get it right. And unfortunately, in Tack and Titan Junior High, I felt wasn't one of those exceptions, I think it was just pretty, oh, let's take uh, the Attack on Titan characters, make them chibi, and put them in high school shenanigans, and it's funny because it's these characters doing it, and not because we're commenting on the work, or deconstructing the characters in an interesting and amusing fashion. But, yeah, you know, Attack on Titan Junior High is a thing that exists. It's a spinoff of Attack on Titan that, of course, probably people care about if they're super obsessed with Attack on Titan and like everything related to it. And it is ending. Uh, it's ending on July 9th. And yeah, so uh, well, I mean, it's not something that could have gone on forever. I'm surprised that it's ending like even though I don't think that the main series is going to be ending for a while yet. So it's surprising that this is ending kind of sooner than I would think, but yeah, I mean, it's so, I mean, it doesn't have a plot, so it's not like it needed to go a long time anyway, but yeah, you know. Yeah, that that's officially ending on July 9th, uh, whereas last time we talked about it, uh, along with my love story, it was also teased that it was ending. Yeah, uh, so, you know, yeah. um, ending. <laughs> who knows? Yeah. If you if you liked it, you might get a second season now. If you really, really liked the first season, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but you know what? You, you know what'll never end? <laughs> and uh, you ever, hey, uh, Sid, Gold I'm sure- 13? Well, no, I, I've see. That's funny. I heard at one point that was ending, but I don't. Oh, think that's that... right. I, I forgot. It is actually ending at some point. I know. Probably right? not any time in the immediate future, but at some point. Uh, let's see what else. Okay, I think actually that I was going to say Oishimbo, but I think that's also going to come to an end soon too. Because what kind of world are we living in where all the manga we thought would never end are ending? I know. At least One Piece won't be coming to an end for at least ten years. Yeah, e- even even with all the like recent plot developments, it's still gonna take years and years and years and years for it to end. Which which is yeah. fine. I I like that one piece is still going. But anyway, so uh, yeah, speaking of stuff that will probably never end, um, I'm sure I don't know how many of our listeners are familiar with this particular series, but uh, Shonen Jump, um, you know, with as much talk as there is about how like how long one piece goes on and how long bleach is going on and yeah and they don't stuff. have a- they don't have anything on the series we're going to talk about right now yeah they don't have anything on uh kochikame um kochikame has been running in jump since 1976 40 years yeah get get out of here with one piece is too long and all that yeah try reading this um 
over was, over almost two thousand chapters, and and almost at two hundred volumes, which. Uh, as Sid said, it is, it is uh, Kochikame's 40th anniversary, and for those of you who don't know what Kochikame is, other than it, you know, being infamously long, it's it's essentially a, a gag manga about a policeman named uh, Ryotsu and his constant uh, constant attempts at trying to make uh, constantly trying to get rich quick. Mm-hmm. He's 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 a he's a greedy old guy, and that's his thing. It's it's a like I see a lot of people compare it to like The Simpsons in a way where it's like. There's no, as far, at least as far as I know, there's no, like, no real continuity, and a lot of the comedy is very, like, family-friendly, um, and all that kind of stuff. Though, I don't know if Kochikame has nearly the expansive, uh, secondary cast of characters that Simpsons does, but, you know, it, it's, it's a lot, it's the same thing in a lot of those aspects, so I can see that comparison. But yeah, so Kochikame, in celebration of its 40th anniversary, is apparently gonna be, uh, getting a new anime. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, yeah, uh, that's, see, I, like, I, I couldn't help when I saw this news, I couldn't help but think, because, you know, uh, Viz, in particular, they've put out best of compilations of, you know, these long-running series like Gogol 13 and Oishinbo, and, um, I don't know how well those have done, but I, I, it's, I'm glad to see stuff like that. While it's not the complete run, I'm glad to see that at least a portion of those works are translated into English and are so readily available. I'm hoping that um, if this turns out to be um, a TV anime, um, because Kochikame has had an anime adaptation before, like, I think it's had one television anime and a few specials after that, so we don't know for sure whether this is going to be a... It's getting it's it's going to be on television, but we don't know if it's going to be a series or a special or whatnot. But I'm hoping this will be a series, yeah. Because I think if this turns out to be a new television series, and say Crunchyroll picks it up or whatnot, this could this could really open the door to you know to Kochikame finally having some kind of like a uh, Western audience or Western fandom, though I'm sure it'll be small. <laughs> Um, you know, it'll have, it'll still have something nonetheless. And I think maybe if Crunchyroll ends up picking this up for a simulcast, an English simulcast or whatnot, um, I think maybe this, this could lead to maybe some best of, uh, Kochikame volume releases over here in, 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 uh, in America. That would be Mm -hmm. nice. That would be nice. I definitely want to read and watch more Kochikame, because that's a series that, for as long as it is, there's very little available, like, to, to find in English. Nothing legally available, and... No, nothing, not at all. No, and, uh, even the stuff that you can find online, uh, you can only find a very small amount, and... Like, yeah, like, literally, I think there are seven chapters of it scanned, and then a few, like, miscellaneous chapters, and that's about it. Yeah, and the translations for those I don't think are the best. Um, I heard, saw some fan subs for like um, some two, some of the movies that I hope to like watch at some point. But it would really be great if we could get a long-running TV anime and culture would pick that up. So there's would be a, like a legal way to watch and experience Coach Kame finally, and it would be even better if. That alongside that, Wiz would release best of volumes at the very least uh, to have something of Kochikami legally available over here because I would like to read it as well. 
Um, I remember reading a while ago, though, that there's some kind of legal reason why they can't publish Gochikami over here. Hmm. Like, I remember something I read in the comments of an Excel socket volume where, like, they referenced Koshikame that talked a little bit about, mentioned something about there being a re- legal reason why Riz can't publish Koshikame, but, uh, maybe that was a joke. Like, uh, those, co- those, like, uh, comments at the back of the cells like volumes often had a lot of jokes but um so who knows but either way i'm looking forward to this new anime i hope to uh watch it regularly when it comes out i I mean i hope it's an ongoing series even if it's a special i hope that someone i hope that crunchyroll still subs it or like someone subs it so i can watch it because i definitely want to experience more kochikame it's such a long-running series and like integral part of shonen jump like it's something that people in japan expect to be in a issue of shonen jump when they open it up each week so i really want to like see experience it and form like a better opinion of it and the only way i can do that is if i can watch and read a good portion of it so that's what i'm hoping for yeah i mean obviously we're thinking very much ahead into the future but my point being that if this turns out to be a tv anime like an actual tv series and it gets picked up for a simulcast i think that could really open up a lot of uh, at least open a, open up a few opportunities for the manga maybe over here hopefully because i mean uh crunchy i i i've watched some stuff on crunchyroll that i cannot believe they have on crunchyroll like uh what was it i've watched stuff on there like uh shin atashinchi i'm sure i'm probably one of like five people who watch that on crunchyroll stuff like that and um what was it they picked up stuff like Shonen Ashibe and Bono Bono and just just a lot of like 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 very Japanese family comedies, kids comedies, what have you that like I'm surprised are legally available at all in yeah. any capacity. I'm so surprised they continue to sub folk tales from Japan. Like that long running children series that, um, you know, animates like traditional Japanese folk tales, which is, which is like almost 200 episodes long now, I think. Jeez. Like they still sub that. I don't know anyone like personally who watches it, but you know, they are committed to it. So I would think that, you know, they'd, I, I'd hope that they'd look into picking up a Kochikame TV anime and they'd uh, make it available. Like, I think that, you know, the way that they are structured, they have just series that they uh, license and support just because they want to have a diverse catalog and and also really want to uh, care about certain properties just a lot, even if there isn't a substantial audience for them. So I hope Kochikame would fall into one of those categories and it could get on there. But uh, speaking of uh, anime, there's another thing that's getting an anime, Sid. Yes, the popular series Ukyu Holder, which is simulcast on Crunchyroll and run and uh, has been running weekly shonen magazine alongside other hit series from there like Fairy Tale and Similarly Sins, is getting an anime finally. Which I'm kind of surprised it's taken so long, honestly, for it to get an anime because I've always heard things about UQ Holder and it always seemed like something that was pretty popular. But yeah, it's finally getting an anime now. And also, 
It'll be moving from Weekly Shonen Magazine to Besatsu Shonen Magazine, a monthly magazine in October. It's going on hiatus uh, with next week's chapter, and it will resume in the November issue of Besatsu Shonen Magazine on October 9th. I'm not sure quite why it's making this uh, switch to um, being a monthly series. Maybe it has something to do with Ken Akamatsu, like maybe wanting to reduce like his workload or he's working on something else. But either way, I'm sure th- I think that it's pretty, I think that it, it's, it's something to look forward to for fans of Yuki Holder that it's getting this animated action probably finally. And, I need to get into Kyoholder. Holder. I mean, it's a series that I've been meaning to get into as way back as when I was first got Crunchyroll manga and got into Seven of the Sins and Madokan and stuff. And so I think with this news, it's finally time that I went back to it and read it all the way on Crunchyroll. And uh, from, I mean, I haven't read Negima and Yukio Holder is a spin-off slash sequel to Negima. But from what I understand, besides a few characters from Negima showing up, it's not, like, necessary to know a whole lot about Negima to read Yukio Holder. Yeah, that's, so, that's, that's, that's kind of what I was wondering myself, actually. Yeah, so that's what I've heard from people. It's not necessary, necessarily, to read Negima. So, before read, before watching Yukio Holder and... So that's good for me because I watched, I, I didn't, I watched like the anime of Negima, the first season, like way back when, 10 years ago, when it was on Colors TV's Funimation block. Mm-hmm. Like, those were the, yeah, so I, I didn't really think much of it then. Uh, I wasn't that into it, but I would, I was considering like reading the manga for it at some point and then, one of the reasons why I put off reading Yuko Holder for so long was because I thought that I would go and read Negima first so that I might appreciate it better or at least understand the world of the series better before I read it. But I think that now with this news of this new anime and like, oh, and like it's moved to a monthly magazine, I think now is probably a better time for me to just get into it and read it because I'm probably not going to get around to Negima anytime soon. I'm just too busy, and there's just too many other series I want to read first. Yeah, me neither. And so, but Uko Holder is a series that I do kind of, I am interested in, and I kind of want to try keeping up with. So I think that I'll try and get into that soon. So anyway, this is pretty cool news, and I don't know when they'll probably put out the anime. That there's no attachment of any studio or director yet. But I would I would guess like maybe the spring of next year that would probably be the earliest I would guess. But probably yeah. yeah. So I think this is good news for you to hold your hands. Been wondering, hey, this series is one hundred and twenty chapters long now. Where's our anime? My Hero Academia got it like sixty chapters in. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so uh, there's some stuff going on with. Digital Manga Inc. that I honestly haven't been keeping up with. I just kind of saw around. Can, can you enlighten me on this a little bit, Sid? Yeah, so it seems that Digital Manga Inc. and Libra Publishing have had a following out. And as a consequence of that, Libra Publishing has ended its publishing agreement with DMI. And they will no longer uh, continue business with them at the end of the month. 
And the pro- the thing with this is, is that Libra Publishing is basically the distributor for Digital Manga Inc.'s, like, series. Like, over 70 of their titles are published through Libra Publishing, so this is going to be a big blow to them as a publisher of manga, and it's also probably going to be a big blow to fans of, like, the series that are getting published, because some of them might have to be discontinued because of their new- this news. What's uh, not clear at this point is who is necessarily responsible for this falling out. DMI uh, statement places the blame on Libra Publishing oh, for wow. unfair practices and being very abrupt with this decision. Uh, they've called this termination of their agreement unjust. But um, Libra Publishing just came out recently with a statement of their own and saying that the, their agreement with DMI was discontinued because of a breach of contact on DMI's part. And they've granted DMI a sell-off period for the remaining like stock of their series. So, it's not very clear exactly what happened between these two publishers to cause this falling out, but what is clear is that this is going to be a blow for fans of these titles. Libra Publishing says they're going to continue and try uh, their ongoing series, but I don't really expect them to continue with most of DMI's properties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure if DMI is going to find another publisher in or that will take on like their seven, like their 70 plus titles that they need to have, that they were distributing through their agreement with Libra publishing. So this is just bad news for fans of like these manga titles. And I mean, hopefully, DMI finds another publisher that will help them continue putting these works out in print or they'll finish them digitally. But I think that whatever happened between these two publishers, the fans are the ones who are really going to be suffering the most uh, from this. And that's a shame. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a bit of bad news there. Um, I don't think I've ever read anything from DMI in particular, but, uh, I, I guess, uh, I, I feel bad for everyone uh, who, uh, who, who, who might have had a, had a title they, uh, they purchased from them and were trying to keep up with. That's, that's a very, it's very, uh, that's a very, um, what's the word? I'm so bad at words. It's a, it's very unfortunate, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Hopefully that'll get resolved soon. But anyway, so, um, so apparently there is a um th- there there's an Amazon listing for something uh and it looks like something from uh from Kodansha. So that's interesting. Uh so apparently according to an Amazon listing it looks like on March 7th, 2017 uh Kodansha is going to be putting out a title called Ichi F, a worker's graphic memoir of the Fukushima nuclear power plant, which as you you could probably guess from the title is uh, is going to be probably going to be some sort of like 
autobiographical uh, piece on the Fukushima power plant and all of that stuff that happened a little while ago. Uh, I don't know. Like, it, it seems to... I, I guess I... I don't know. I, I wonder if this will be kind of like a barefoot gen kind of thing. You know what I mean? Maybe. But barefoot gen, I don't know how... I, I don't really know the background of the series, but but I do think that, you know, as an autobiographical manga, there's going to be something very raw about the way it depicts the story, just like Yoshihiro Tatsumi's A Drifting Life or Barefoot Gen. So I definitely am really interested in reading it because autobiographical manga like this are very valuable and I find very interesting because they are often the most personal and also the most unhinged in terms of expressing their messages. Yeah, I like I like I wonder if this is I wonder like how political this is going to be. With the subject matter, I'd have to expect it would be pretty political, but it might focus on the more internal kind of workings and politics behind like the power plant or just the story from the worker's perspective. Well, I mean, it's going to be from the worker's perspective, but what I mean is just on how, like, this disaster or, like, just uh, this disaster kind of just affected people and not really placed a whole bunch of condemnation on, like, the political or, like, political failings that was responsible for this so yeah i'm we'll I'm, st- I'm starting i'm starting to realize how silly of a question that kind of is uh considering the uh the subject matter so i do apologize for that but um i i think this will be a very interesting work and i'd i'd really like to read this mm-hmm. yeah totally i'm looking forward to it but yeah i i think i'll definitely be picking up the first volume of this this will this will be an interesting read anyway uh there's another new uh well New manga to the West, I think, would be safe to say, um, through... Well, it was published in the West before. Oh, was it? Okay, I didn't know that. A couple times, actually, twice. Like, there was, uh... It was originally published in the late 80s, and then again in the early 2000s. And this is gonna be its third time being re-released over here. Okay, okay. And and what is that, Sid? Yes, uh... We don't talk a lot about hentai on this show. Uh-oh. But this is a series that's so infamous that I felt we kind of had to talk about it. I think that most people have heard of Urosuki Doji, otherwise known as Legend of the Overfiend. This series is infamous as it's series that popularized um, tentacle porn. It's also considered one of the progenitors of... Uh, hentai manga by the man who's considered like the one who kind who kind of created the genre in a way Toshio Maida and so Faku the hentai website um that hey, you know language it's it well you know <laughs> it's the name of the website I'm sorry I mean... I was trying to make a joke, Sid. Continue your story. <laughs> well, okay, so... Faku publishes legal manga... Uh, legal, legally publishes hentai manga. And so now they've started a Kickstarter to republish uh, Legend of the Overfiend. 
Um, their Kickstarter campaign has an initial goal of 47000 and it will fund and print digital editions of the manga's first 300-page volume, and then there are additional stretch goals for the subsequent volumes. This edition of uh, Legend of the Four Ravine is going to be set apart from previous English published versions in that they're going to be completely uncut and unedited and include material that was not cut from previous English editions of the manga. Oh, wow. And there's also news that the creator, Toshio Maeda, might even draw new artwork for scenes that were censored in Japan if the Kickstarter meets all its milestones. That's actually pretty neat. Yeah. And after this, Faku also plans on uh, making Kickstarter campaigns to publish the Maeda's other works like La Blue Girl, Demon Beast, Invasion, and Adventure Kid after this campaign is successful. So, um... Ah, uh, yes, I have definitely heard of La Blue Girl. Yeah, so, uh, Legend of the Overfiend, um, I mean, it's, you know, it's hentai, it's, uh... It, it is what kind it is. Of, eh, uh, but... I mean, as it's as a series in of itself, it's important from a historical perspective, and so and it is interesting in just terms of like its artwork and the means of which it kind of merges sexuality and violence in a way that manga before really didn't, and that's what kind of made it so revolutionary for its time. So there is like value in having it legally available just from an acad- from you know from an entertainment perspective too but also from kind of an academic and historical perspective there's value in that so i think that if you're really interested in reading the series uncut and unedited this is a pretty interesting campaign that's what I have to say about that. Now, as for myself, I don't think I'll be able to contribute to this Kickstarter just because I keep all my manga at my parents' house and <laughs> I do not. And even though they couldn't care less about manga, I don't want them to just some, someday just pick volumes off the shelf and discover it and go, what the hell is this shit? And burn <laughs> my entire collection because they think it's pornographic trash or whatever. Yeah, so, my, my, folks yeah. Are the, my folks are the same way. Like, they, they just assume they... I mean, I don't know, like, my, my parents are pretty, like, chill with, you know, my hobbies and stuff. Like, my, I think I, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before, but my parents are the kind of parents who, if they see something like, you know, if they're shopping around or something and they're trying to buy me a gift or something, and if they see something like, I don't know, how to draw anime 101, you can be an anime too, or something weird like that, you know, like the very generic looking anime style drawing book or whatever, those those kinds of things. And like, if my parents saw something like that, they'd be like, hey, my son likes this anime thing and this is anime, I think. I will, I will buy it for him because it's also anime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my parents are very much those kind of parents. Um, yeah. But yeah. But yeah, I... 
I keep all my manga at my folks' house, too, so I wouldn't really... I mean, they don't really go... They couldn't really care less, you know, also about what I read, but, like, I feel like, if anything, my parents would just be like, son, I think we need to have a talk, and I'd be like, I I mean, I'm 23, what do we need to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, so... Like, like I'm I'm just kind of at that point in my life where, like... I mean, look, it, like, if I decided, hey, I want to look up porn tonight, and they, for some reason, accidentally found, found out, hey, I look at porn, big shocker, I'm in my 20s, I look up porn, like, oh no, like, what are my, what are my folks gonna do to me? Are they, are they gonna ground me? Like, I'm, I'm an adult, I can do what I want at this point, so. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just that kind of thing for me in my life personally, but. I, yeah, but yeah, I, I still wouldn't feel comfortable about keeping about keeping something like that, you know, physically. Because I also, I also live, I still live with my younger sisters too, so I wouldn't want them seeing that. Yeah, maybe it's not good to have around the house around young children. Or... This is this is the kind of thing I would prefer to buy digitally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in a pinch, I might contribute and get. For digital editions, but uh, for I probably won't go for print. I am interested in reading this just again oh, from me too. the historical perspective. Like also the artwork, you yes. know, the artwork is very detailed and very interesting to me. Yes, like, we're, yes, we're we're both interested in reading this for the historical aspect of it. Wink. Just saying. Well, I'm not really interested in um this kind of material in terms of it's Hey look, I'm I'm not really in the tentacle porn either. Like I never I never got the fascination with that. I honestly don't. But uh-huh. I mean but I mean to each his own. Uh, we're not we're not kink shaming here. We do not we do not uh support that kind of thing. Yeah, but I can see how there it has influenced um not just hentai, but also other mainstream manga. Mm-hmm. I think Kentaro Miura probably got a lot of inspiration from this artist. I wouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I am interested in reading it in its pure, uncut form. So I, I am rooting for it to get fully funded. Certainly, certainly I support this much more than I do the Kodomo no Jikan Kickstarter. Yeah... Uh, so these Kickstarters are just getting more and more out there and crazy, and I kind of like it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so uh, we we were talking about a lot of um different, well, not a lot, but 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 a few different manga ending. Uh, as, as there are new manga, as there are manga ending, there are a lot of new manga coming up actually. Um, mm-hmm. so. The first thing coming up is that uh, apparently Yusuke Murata, who is responsible for the redrawn version of One Punch Man and Ice Shield 21, uh, well, the art for those specifically, um, it looks like uh, he's going to be coming out with a new uh, with a new series in in Weekly Morning. Uh, what, what's it going to be about? I mean, like Yusuke Murata can really draw. If you've read enough of his works, you know that he's a very talented artist. Very capable of a lot of a uh, lot of different things. So, what kind of series is Yusuke Murata going to be drawing? A cooking manga. Yes, but not just any cooking manga. Uh, a, a manga about uh, what looks like to be uh, how to make midnight snacks. 
specifically uh, how to make midnight stacks and uh, eat midnight snacks as a manga artist. The title of the work is called Mangaka Yashoku Benyushuku, or otherwise, or loosely translated as Manga Artist Late Night Snack Laboratory. So uh, the description for the series is that it, manga artists are pros when it comes to the art of midnight snacking. And so I'm going to assume that the series is going to be Murata, sort of inspired kind of by events in his own like experience as a mangaka, like depicting manga- how mangaka would go about grabbing some grub at the wee hours of night when they're working on their series, which I think is a very interesting concept, and I would very much like to read this. I I would too. I I expect I'm looking at the um. I'm looking at a, at a scan of the um, at uh, at the preview page for this uh, manga in particular, and I, I really, I I really enjoy, <laughs> I really appreciate the the little doodle of uh, of Murata with his little manga uh, bandana on, drawing something and looking at his watch, being like, "Oh, it's snack time!" And his little <laughs> drool. It's really, it's amazing. I love it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I. I don't know if this would get picked up, but I really hope it does. I want to. I, I would if there if there is any autobiographical work of anyone I'd love to read, it would be Murata. Yeah, I mean, One Punch Man is such a big property that I think that you see Murata's name would, on its own, uh, give a lot of weight to his series in terms of getting licensed. I think so. so too. I hope that you know if it's a manga of significant. Well, not probably too significant length, but like if it once volumes start coming out, Wiz think Wiz decides to pick it up and release it in print over here because I'd very much like to read this since it seems like a good fun time. It it just it looks so adorable. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's another uh very well known artist working on something, and and who would that be, Sid? Yes, Nobuhiro Watsuki, the mangaka behind Ronin Kenshin. Yes, is, I love Kenshin. Yes, Kenshin is amazing. Is making a new series. He's just recently ended his Embalming Another Tale Frankenstein series and seems to be working on a secret new work. And it seems, and there isn't uh, any other, like, estimate of when, like, his new work is going to come out. But I'm very interested, of course, in anything that Watsky does. Uh, personally, I've, I really love Kenshin. I wasn't quite into Busa Rankin. I still need to read Embalming. But Watsky, I mean, if you make something as well realized and tight and extremely well put together as Roroni Kenshin, I will give anything else you make another chance. Roroni Kenshin is just feels complete in a way that few manga really do. And Watsuki is definitely an insanely talented artist and he has a lot of passion for his craft. So I'm definitely willing to check out anything that he does. And then tangentially related to this, I guess I'll also just mention that Funimation has picked up the first three live action Murley Kenshin films for North American distribution and they'll get theatrical screenings this fall. I'll just briefly mention that since we're already talking about uh, Watsky anyway. But yeah, 
So this is good news for Roni Kenshin fans and fans of Nobuhiro Watsuki. There's some a lot of things to look forward to if you're a Kenshin fan in the future. Yeah, I um I mean I I love Kenshin. Like I I I own all of the manga and I am never letting that go for as long as I live. But uh I I've I've read Buso Renkin as well and you know what? I remember the first time I read it, I wasn't very into it and then um I remember I was at a library in in Minnesota actually and I had been visiting there just because I was like on vacation or like working or something with the family. And uh, every day I would go there, I like they just happened to have all of Buso Renkin. And I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll read it all finally. And then I did. And the unfortunate thing about Buso Renkin is that from what I've read in a lot of Watsky's um, author notes with his uh, that come with his character bios and stuff, it seemed like he had a lot of different ideas for Buso Renkin that because it was canceled, they weren't all fully realized, which is unfortunate. So I think if it weren't for the fact that it was canceled, I think Buso Renkin could have been better. But from what we got, I thought it was fun shonen. And you know what? I can't really ask for more. I mean, I I guess I could, but like, you know, I, I liked it for what it was. You know, I thought it was fun. Um, I, I definitely know people who do not like Buso Renkin, who are uh, very adamant about disliking it. But you know what? It's... It's fine, Buso Renkin, it is what it is. Yeah, Buso Renkin, if nothing else, shows Watsky's love for shonen, and specifically battle shonen as a genre. He puts everything he loves about um, shonen manga into that series, and it shows. And so I definitely respect the passionate aspect about it. I mean, the story and characters themselves, they didn't, like... Completely wow me, but then and again, I kind of came into it right after re- reading Kenshin. Yeah, like it's not, it does, it doesn't compare, but um, it's not a bad series by any means. It's just not something that I feel that Watsky, re- Watsky was able to really uh, fully uh, flesh out and really bring it to the level that I think he could have if he would have been allowed to continue it and get to all the ideas he really wanted to put into it. And I overall, I think that Watsky has the talent in him to make another work as strong and well put together as Kenshin. Of course. I re- I'm really hoping to see that from him someday. And yeah. I'm ho- hoping his next work might just be it. Might be the follow-up to Kenshin that fans have been waiting for since it ended. Yeah, because I mean, like... From what I've heard of a lot of Watsky's different works, they definitely don't hold up to the standard uh, that he brought with Kenshin. Um, I think he did. He did another uh, manga that um, that lasted that didn't last as long as Musa Renkin even called Gunblaze West. Yeah, that's um, a, yeah. You can actually read that in English legally. Wiz brought it over. It's just three volumes long series. I'm I'm not looking forward to reading that because it is three volumes long, which tells me again that it was definitely cancelled. Um, yeah, it's it's not it's not bad. It's uh, it, I mean, obviously it's not, it doesn't get to feel like a fully fleshed out story, but I that's, mean, that's, that's the problem with a lot of cancelled works unfortunately. Yeah, it's not Watsky at his best by any means but it's not a terrible, it's not a bad read either, necessarily. Like I, I think that's the problem with Watsky, is that everything else he's done after Kenshin just, unfortunately, isn't as good. I mean, Kenshin also just set such a high standard 
as a work of as a work. I mean, it's just it's there again. Few manga feel as well put together and as fully realized as Kenshin does. Everything in Kenshin feels purposeful. It and it feels organic. And just Watsuki just hasn't been able to put together a story that just captures that kind of organic feeling as a story. Uh, I mean, he has a lot of ideas, clearly. Booster Rankin definitely shows that. But putting them together into a coherent story that feels so natural and has such... consistent payoff every step of the way. That's hard to do and few series do it, but Kenshin got it right. And it's going to be, and it's a real challenge, I think, for anyone to follow up a work that feels just so complete like that and put it up to the same standard. Only a few mangaka, I think, are able to do that. Naoki Urasawa, I mean, he consistently has done that with his series um, since Monster. But I can't really think of too many other people. But yeah, I mean, Watsuki has a lot of great ideas. He is a talented artist. And I definitely look, I'm look, I will always look forward to a new original work from him. And I'm hoping that this time, hopefully, we'll finally get the follow up, the second great spark from him that fans have been waiting since Kenshin. Yeah, hopefully. But, uh, anyway, so. We have one more thing we ha- we we want to talk about, and uh, that's what we were uh, uh, building kinda... up throughout the entire episode. Yeah, so if you listen, if you li- if you listen to all the entire episode up to this point, first off, thank you, and also congratulations, and also thank you for not deleting the episode. Uh, so, but before before we end the show, I, I do kind of want to talk briefly about my thoughts about uh, Tokyo Ghoul. I mean, Sid read more than I did, but uh, that's okay because I really wasn't planning on reading more than a volume anyway. So, here it is. This is what I think of Tokyo Ghoul. I thought it was okay. I read the first volume. I read all, what was it, eight or nine chapters. I feel, I'm not sure if my opinion's very fair because a lot of the first volume is, it's really just all set up. And it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of the main character having basically his, his kind of inner struggle about transitioning from becoming a human to becoming a ghoul, as it's known in, um, in their universe. Which that, that was something that kind of struck me was, uh, that there are just these beings, these creatures running around disguising themselves as humans and eating human flesh. And people just kind of like nonchalantly report about this on the news. And it's just a thing that exists in, in this world. That kind of caught me off guard. Honestly, I wasn't really expecting that. It's kind of, it's kind of like, well, to a lesser extent, it's kind of like in Dragon Ball, how like there are just dinosaurs that roam around and there are just like animal people running around and th- that just like integrate themselves into society. I don't know that 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 caught me off guard. That and um, I don't know. Like, I feel like I'd have to read more of this to really gain a full opinion on it. But from from what I've read, I I didn't dislike it, so that's a thing. Um, but I didn't love it either. I don't know. Like, 
again, it it is a lot of setup, and the very few fights that are in the first volume are they're not they didn't really impress me very much. Um, though I do think, like I. Like I, I don't, I don't know anything about Tokyo Ghoul past the ending of the first chapter, or first chapter, first volume. So I don't know where the story goes from here, but I'm assuming, hopefully, it becomes the like as the action and as the fights progress, that hopefully they get better. Because there were some points where I couldn't tell what was going on, and some of the action was a little hard to discern. Well, there are fights in Tokyo Ghoul, definitely. Um, I've read about half the series at this point. Uh, all seven English volumes of his have put out so far. I guess you would. I I don't know if I would necessarily call it a battle focus series. Like okay. there are a lot of fights. I mean, in every arc is has a fight, sure. But I wouldn't say that any of the fights really necessarily stand out to me as fights in of themselves. Like in terms of the action. I think that what carries like most of the action in the series has to do with the emotions of the character behind the characters who are fighting and like the struggle for survival that most of the fights entail. Um, probably the most engaging fight I would say would be Toka and this girl Hina. I don't, I think it's just Hina fighting against this really crazy, like, um, sign this crazy like uh in ghoul inspector who's working for the government who like killed um Hina's parents and like is using like her their like powers um their kinks against her and like he wants to harvest Hina's kink in order because it's going because it has the best of her parents to so, um, I mean, that was a very desperate fight. I mean, that w- it was a real struggle for survival. There was a lot of emotions riding on the line. And it was a hard-fought victory. And so I've definitely felt the tension and emotions in that. Um, in other scenarios, like just random action between characters, maybe not so much. I, I mean, just general action in Tokyo Ghoul, I don't think is necessarily, um, impressive. But I think that what makes Tokyo Ghoul interesting has more to do with its exploration on kind of what defines humanity, what is a hu- what, how, uh, what is what makes someone human? How do you lose human? How do you lose your humanity? And then also just character development. So that's what I think is probably the most interesting part about Tokyo Ghoul. I will say that before we were wondering why Tokyo Ghoul was so popular, why it sells so really well. So to compare with Attack on Titan, Attack on Titan takes something that's extremely uh, takes a subject matter that's extremely popular in popular culture zombies in the same vein and zo- zombies and it uh ma- makes a zombie survival story that is where that is that ups like the stakes and kind of disguises that it is a zombie survival story in the same way Tokyo Ghoul takes the other most popular kind of fictional monster in our popular culture, vampires. It takes a vampire story and, like, 
basically all that what that entails and it like transplants it into this uh, mediation on what morality and humanity and all of that and probably the thing that I can't not compare it to like it's just immediately comes to it just immediately came to my mind while reading Tokyo Ghoul Tokyo Ghoul is very similar to Parasite and what it sets out to do in terms of these ghouls simply exist and they have to eat human flesh there's just no other option for them to survive and the crisis is is from a human perspective, like, it, that seems, like, awful, that seems horrible, like, these are, like, that seems monstrous, but for ghouls, that's just how they have to live, and some of them do struggle with that. Um, some of them don't want, some of them want to live alongside other human beings, and they have human friends that they care about very deeply, and the struggle with them is that there's always this tension like this hunger inside them that they want to eat, that they need to eat human beings. But at the same time, they are very much human beings themselves. There is nothing about how the way they think or how they even look that separates them apart from a, a normal human being. And this is probably the most distinct difference from Parasite in that the Parasites were very much not human in the way they thought. They had a very matter-of-fact, animalistic outlook on survival and the world. And they definitely did not have any, like, moral problems or any really, any real concerns about... They, they, had, any... they, they, they had no remorse for killing their own kind. Uh, no remorse for killing their own kind. I, yeah, more, but more uh, importantly, they didn't think twice about killing human beings for food because that was something that was just a matter of course for them yeah. with a lot of the ghoul characters in tokyo ghoul especially our the protagonist they have at least one human connection that they really care about that they could not live without whose relationship and friendship to them means a lot and the struggle with that is that they are ultimately are have to prey on human flesh. They have to consume human flesh. Some of them cannot do that directly, and so that's why there's this whole community of goals who are try to be pacifistic and stick together, and they don't go after live human beings. They go and find freshly deceased corpses or of like people who have died in accidents or stuff and they harvest that meat and they uh, distribute it to their community and to people who are too afraid or are uncomfortable with killing human beings themselves. So there's, there's nothing like that in Parasite. There's only one character really in Parasite who makes an attempt of understanding humans and trying to become human and that's Reiko Tamura, who by the end of her character arc had kind of transitioned, especially as a, the feelings of a mother, but also just what it fe what it feels to care about some uh, care about someone in the way a human being does and human connections. I and, I, I see. I actually, now that I think about it, I think that's probably the key difference between Tokyo Ghoul and Parasite. If we're still going to make the comparison, is that I think 
The key difference is that I think compared to Tokyo Ghoul, I think Parasite is probably probably a better example of an all out. I mean, it, it deals with the same themes of humanity and what exactly that means or what defines humanity. But I feel like Parasite comparatively is definitely more of a battle manga than uh, than Tokyo Ghoul is by a long shot. Yeah, I think Parasite has a m- much stronger mediation on like its moral themes and its themes of what defines a human being in terms of Shinichi's character arc and how his true being made into more of a parasite human hybrid thanks to Migi, how his like the way he thinks changes, how his body changes, he starts to feel less like a human and he struggles with that throughout the course of the series. In contrast, Kaneki in Tokyo Ghoul, really ghouls in Tokyo Ghoul, there's nothing that necessarily necessarily makes them act or think in a way dissimilar to other human beings. They're pretty much human beings in every other way, other than the fact that they have to eat human flesh to survive, and they have these powers that they can summon, these kinks that they can use to fight and, you know, hunt their prey with. I think that's one of the big differences between the two, and I also think that's one of the weaknesses of Tokyo Ghoul, is that it's not it's not really a strong in terms of the teams it's tackling i don't think it does it quite as well as parasite does and also i think that one of the things that i think really hurts tokyo ghoul at times is that it does have this tendency to really go for like shock value or have these like ridiculously sadistic characters who they're not necessarily unentertaining there's this one arc with this character called the gourmet who i actually really find amusing and his whole thing is that he's a ghoul who likes to um take human body parts and he likes to prepare them and like kind of in a artsy food way <laughs> like he like he cooks that like he he likes to experiment with cooking he likes to think of himself as a having refined palate he doesn't unlike other ghouls he doesn't just simply take human flesh and eat it just like raw he's he's like takes it and he like tries to dress it up garnish it put all sorts of dressings trimmings on it whatever like he considers himself like an elite aristocratic kind of person and he's kind of ridiculous like and also he's kind of weird because his whole thing is that he wants to eat Kaneki because he's a half human half ghoul hybrid and he wonders how that would taste so he orchestrates this elaborate scheme where he lures Kaneki to this basically this battle coliseum that he holds where a bunch of ghouls like gather and pit and like pit human a pit like human like being they're human beings that they've captured like against one another and like in a fight to the dead and then they eat the like losers and that's kind of that kind of devalues kind of uh the more thoughtful like ruminations on what moral crises and whatever because you're having like such a ridiculous display and spectacle of like just like literally characters or holding an an underground coliseum like to to impeding like 
humans in a fight to a debt and then like eating them like it kind of devalues the a lot of the ghoul like the ghouls as a community kind of and like their struggle because the whole thing in Tokyo Ghoul like something that they really like to comment about is how ghouls have really sh- terrible lives and how it really is ter- bad for them because they're keeping hunt because they can't really live normalized because and they can't eat the same things people do their friendships with hu- human beings are repeatedly put, put to the test and strained and worst of all they keep getting hunted down by these task force members who work for the government who ca- who at best case kill them and worst case capture them and torture them in order to harvest like their kinks and stuff and so, yeah, I mean, when you have, like, a whole organization, underground organization, de- devoted to holding death matches and, like, weird and weird, or, like, sadistic characters with weird fetishes, that's kind of, that kind of, like, takes me out of, like, appreciating kind of the more... Uh, thoughtful ruminations and like the, and like the times where characters are really trying to make critiques of like human nature and human society. Whereas in Parasite, there are some like ridiculous moments in Parasite. Like there's that whole scene with like that lion getting killed by that one parasite that was kind of extraneous and bizarre. But in general, like Parasite is much more down to earth and much more thoughtful in the way it portrays the parasites as a collective and a community and as what they are and also how they frame the human reaction towards them. There aren't like terribly sadistic people who are going around and hunting parasites and gleefully laughing as they cut them out up. There aren't like parasites who are like who gleefully kill humans for fun and hold like big underground coliseums, you know, t- to like for sport or whatever. Like it's a much more uh, thoughtful and interesting take on, on what it means to survive, what it means to be a human being, and also just how our how we see ourselves as a society, society in general. I think that's a big weakness of Tokyo Ghoul is that it's just too over the top in parts, and it tr- just is has so some these ridiculous characters that when it try what it tries to do in terms of its Care in, in terms of its um how it explores its teams doesn't quite always work for me. That said, I don't think Tokyo Ghoul is a bad read. On the contrary, I do enjoy reading it. I think that as far as character development goes, I like a lot of the characters. I like Kaneki. I like Toka. I like Nishio, Nishiki rather. I like a, a lot of the characters. I do like some of the things it tries to attempt, even if it isn't. Even if it does undermine it at several points with some of the some more ridiculous elements, but I can see why it's popular. Like I definitely see what the appeal of the series is. Again, it's basically another take on a vampire story in the same manner Attack on Titan is a, another take on a zombie survival story, and so it's a very kind of relatable concept in a way. 
And it also has a lot of stuff that I see would really appeal to a wide mainstream audience. So I definitely see the appeal here, and I definitely think there are a lot of merits to the series. I think that if I were to compare, like, it's a parasite, parasite is, like, easily superior as a series um, in my book, and I like that more. But Tokyo Ghoul is not a bad read at all, and I do plan to finish it and um, read its sequel series, too. Uh, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I I don't know how to follow that up. I, yeah, like, there, there's a reason I, I only read the first volume was because I had a feeling I wasn't going to like it enough to want to continue. I mean, I don't think I'm going to count Tokyo Ghoul out just yet. I mean, again, from what I read, it, I read a lot of setup, so... Uh, I didn't really get a chance. I didn't get a chance to get into like the real meat of what's going on and what you were describing to me. And I mean, it all sounds, it all sounds like it could be kind of hit or miss for me, honestly. But I feel like um, I'm not going to drop Tokyo Ghoul completely. But th- I think this is something I'd rather wait until it's over. Like this isn't something I'd want to actively keep up with, honestly. Well, I mean, the first series is technically over, even if it's not completely published over here. That that's true. I forgot. I forgot. There's a sequel series. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think I'd rather just kind of like drop this for now and maybe get on to other things I'd rather read because, again, I, I didn't dis I didn't dislike it at all. But like, it I like while I was reading it, I was just kind of like. Man, when is this going to be over? <laughs> I mean, that sounds really bad, but it was just like again, like I and I can't, I can't blame I can't blame the first volume in particular for this because it is a lot of setup and it's it's a lot of Kaneki trying to come to terms with the fact that he is becoming a ghoul and that he is going to have to make some kind of changes in his life now that he can't eat the same things humans can. And it's really just a lot of him struggling with that. But up until like the very end of the volume, it seems like he's on his way to either accepting who he is or maybe trying to figure out a way to to live as both a ghoul and a human, uh, respectively. Um, But I don't know. Um, There were moments that I liked, but there weren't enough of them to keep me wanting to read. So yeah, I, I think I'm gonna put Tokyo Ghoul in the pile of I'll get to it eventually. Person, I mean personally, I did. Fi- I found the first volume interesting, and and the way it's set up, like the conflict, Kaneki's uh, moral conflict that will last through the rest of the series, and like trying to figure out like what exactly he is and where he really belongs in terms of these spears that he's now both a part of. And then I think the second volume continues off of that point and like really fleshes out, um, what's the struggles that ghouls face and then also really humanizes a lot of the, of that community like very well. At the, and then of course, uh, I think that as it goes along, I do think that there are really good points to like Kaneki's character development. I don't think it's as compelling as, uh, Shinichi's and Parasite as much, nearly as much, but I do think that there are interesting characters and interesting viewpoints in Tokyo Ghoul. I think there's, it's a, I do think that the series does do 
interesting things with its concept, and but there are problems, sure. But I did enjoy reading. Um, I did enjoy reading it for basic uh, for what I ha- what I've read. Really, I mean, I don't. There are problems I have with it, but they aren't. They don't turn me off from the series necessarily so much as I think to myself, mm, you know, you could have done that better. Mm, this didn't have to be this ridiculous. I, you know, I mean. I really hate saying this because I know it's not fair, but like it didn't grab me, at least not right off the bat. It, it, well, this that's is not, that's not unfair at all. If you if it didn't like interest grab you, then then maybe it's just not for you. That's perfectly fair. Like not everything is for everyone. It's it's something that I I think again I, I have this weird way of categorizing manga where uh, Tokyo Ghoul is something I think. I'm not opposed to reading more of it, but, like, it didn't make me want to go to the next volume right away, is the thing. It's it's something that I think I'd rather just take my time on and, and may, maybe get back to it at some point. But, you know, knowing everybody who listens to this listens to this knows I have a lot of other things that I should be reading. Uh, stuff that uh, I, I just, I need to, I need to get better about uh, reading more stuff in general, but... I don't know, like, I'm, I'm I'm very mixed on it, but, again, it didn't really, it did again, it, it didn't, it didn't make me want to read more, like, I'll just get to it when I get to it, is how I really feel about it. Not that I think it's bad, just, like, I feel like this is a series where the hype kind of kills, kills it for me a little bit, because I know there are a lot of people who really like this, and obviously it, it shows in, like, you know, the manga best-selling list on the New York Times list or whatnot and as we've talked about on the podcast before it always does really well and i mean i I don't i don't really know what else to say other than i'll just i'll just i'll just get back to it whenever Mm -hmm. oh i totally forgot something else that i was i thought of while reading this and that series like this which have like characters with who have to keep secrets and feel ostracized from like a society as a whole like a lot of those stories are are very like uh relatable to like minorities and especially like the lgbt community like like in the same manner x-men is like uh, the x-men concept of x-men is very um like in terms of the way that's handled how that really resonates with the LGBT community and comments on it. Tokyo Ghoul sort of has the same appeal, even though I don't think it intentionally, like, really does anything to address or, like, provide an actual commentary on it, so much as it reflects kind of, like, the feelings some people might have in terms of feeling alienated and kind of, like, like another existence within, like, a larger society. But... Um, what I think, so I think that that's another just element of its appeal. I just forgot to mention that earlier. But as far as readability goes, I personally did find Tokyo Ghoul very readable. Like, I didn't have any problems jumping from the end of Volume 1 to Volume 2 and so on. Like, I actually was planning to finish it before we talked about it today, but I just didn't get time. But I probably will finish off the series, like pretty soon and then you know move on to the sequel series like i have problems with it but i do think there are merits to it that i do 
like, and I do like the characters. So I definitely think that it's not a very, like, thoughtful, like, psychological or, like, necessarily even mature series in how it handles its subject matter. But but there's but there's but, but there's blood. That means it's mature. <laughs> yeah, there's buckets of blood and lots of nudity. That's instant maturity. Yeah. But no. No, it's not it's not quite as uh thoughtful and as well put together as Parasite, in my opinion, in terms of what it's trying to do. But at the same time as just like uh it kind of just as a like kind of I don't want to really say it say popcorn because that feels like I'm not giving it enough credit there but kind of like uh just enjoyable kind of uh actions uh, action like uh series it's enjoyable in terms of in terms of that and it's I think it's pretty readable and a pretty fast read honestly if it interests if it interests you I don't think you sh- I think that you can check it out and you'll probably like it just fine um, I did. I don't love it by any means, but Me I think neither. it's. But I, I see the appeal of it. I see the merits of it, and I think there is a lot it does well, and there is things about it I like. So I will continue reading it. Uh, I'll. I doubt get to it. Whatever. Um, uh-huh. I, I I agree with Sid. I, you know, I I I agree that there are merits to it, but I think personally, it's. It's just it's just not something I'm willing to get on right away. But I, I think I think that does it about that about does it for our thoughts on Tokyo Ghoul. I hope I hope people didn't stop listening <laughs> halfway through. <laughs> They're like, these guys don't like Tokyo Ghoul. Well, I'm not. I'm deleting this podcast. Oh man, I'm I am so hungry. So so Sid, uh, we we don't have any emails or anything, right? Unfortunately, no. Oh, thank God. Okay, we can we can end the show. <laughs> Please, please keep sending us emails. No, please, no, please send, no, send us emails. We we like getting emails. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm like in a really lazy mood today, and I just want to stop recording and eat. But, uh, but, but we we got we got to end the show the pro- we end the show properly. Words are failing me today. So, 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 ever, thank you everybody for listening to this episode of Manga Mavericks. Um, Sid, where can where can the where can people find you? You can find me as Lum Ramiyasha on Twitter and my anime list. You can uh, also find me on Animation Revelation. And you can read my reviews of manga on allcomic.com. All right. Wow, that was really concise. Um, so as for me, you can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. That's S-N-I-P-E-R-K-I-N-G-323. I do a lot of other podcasts, just to mention them real quick. Um, I mentioned... Uh, life lessons earlier uh you know if you liked uh, if you like gintama and you want to hear more of my thoughts on it uh you can go listen to life lessons the gintama manga cast that's at gintalifelessons.wordpress.com uh you can also hear me talk about detective conan slash case closed on one podcast prevails at one podcast prevails.wordpress.com or if you want to hear me talk about toriko uh you can listen to the heavenly kings podcast at heavenlykings.wordpress.com uh, but as for Manga Mavericks and All Comic, you can find more of Manga Mavericks on uh, all-comic.com, or you can follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic, or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. And like Sid said, uh, I, I know I'm 
I know this episode's kind of running long and I'm hungry, and that's why I'm happy we don't have any emails, but usually uh, I, lo- I look forward to having somebody uh, email us about, you know, whatever manga they're reading or what they think about the medium in general, any thoughts they might have on any news happening. So don't 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 be don't don't let my general uh, uh, assholishness uh, discourage you from emailing us anything about uh, manga in general at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Please please send us some emails. We'll read them on the show. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And I think that's that's really about it from all of us here at allcomic.com. Uh, we hope you enjoyed episode 11 of Manga Mavericks, and uh, we'll see you guys in the next two weeks. See ya. Sayonara.